0: This is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, the drop-in CEO, and I am so grateful you've joined us for another episode of the podcast where week after week, I get to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights with you, and I do hope they inspire you. And if you love this episode, I would love for you to subscribe, rate, review, but more importantly, tell others, share this valuable resource with others so we can elevate the collective. And just know, and you all know what I say, I am here for the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow to navigate your challenges with confidence. And today, it is my honor to introduce to you Frank Ricciardi. Frank is currently the founder and CEO of Mavi, a consumer-led population wellness SaaS platform that connects humans to their highly personal, fluid, and lifelong journeys. And what really resonated as I was preparing for this interview is what it says on his profile. What he's doing is positively impacting the world through the pursuit of well-being. And I think we are all in pursuit of just that. So Frank, it's my honor to welcome you to the Drop-In CEO podcast.
1: Yep, thank you very much. So glad to be here. That was very well stated, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I try. It's a, a lot of preparation, but you never know what comes out of my mouth. I often flub my words. This is unedited. This is real life. And I'm just grateful to bring you to my community. And there's a number of things I, I really was just searching for CEOs, founders, presidents that had compelling stories. And when I, I met Frank, it was like, oh, I got to get his story onto the show. But before we go into his backstory, if you check out his LinkedIn profile. He's got some great hashtags in there. He's got globalist. He's got wellness junkie, hashtag wellness junkie. And he (laughs) has got hashtag escapist. What is that?
1: Tell me more. The escapist part? Yeah. Well, the escapist is interesting. People ask me all the time, what do I mean by escapist? And they generally think I mean, I'm always trying to get away from something. And, And in reality, I am. I have a fundamental belief, Deb, that my journey in life is to constantly expand how I show up. And I fundamentally believe that I have to remove myself from the ordinary. I have to get out of any repetitive cycles where we get comfortable doing the same thing over and over again. I I switch gyms like once a year. Because it's not just that I get bored, I just, you don't know what else is out there. And so in order to grow, for me, I have to have new experiences. And I won't thrive unless I do. And that could be as simple as changing my gym or not working from my house and going to a coffee shop. But it also could mean that I literally need to change my environment like the country I live in. and so. For me, it's about escaping the monotony and the repetitiveness.
0: Thank you for that. But then I'm curious about then stability. Do you appreciate stability and routine and things that are de- repeatable and dependable? Or is that something you much more prefer the unknown, the uncertainty and the change?
1: I live my, my life in terms of possibilities So, of course, repetitive or or stability is really important. Roots are really important. It doesn't mean necessarily that things can't be the same. You know, like my Christmas traditions are always the same. And, you know, my home is I live here and I have roots. But um, in the day-to-day, I need to shake it up. I need to see new things and experience new things. I might come back to my stability, but I need to leave it to experience. And that's where I get, I'm an innovator. in my mind. I'm constantly thinking of new things to do. And I get that inspiration, not in the shower, like a lot of people. I get it by being in another culture for a bit. Or being in another place.
0: I love what you say about possibilities because I'll even say myself, I prefer the routine. I like my to control my environment. I love predictability because I'm very uncomfortable with the unknown. Now, if we go to a new country of vacation, sure, let's try it, but I got yeah. butterflies in my stomach. But yeah. you, you change the narrative of you know from uncertainty to possibility. And if we can like lean into possibilities, we might be a little bit less risk-averse and embrace life. Embrace the change. You never know who you're going to meet.
1: (laughs) You just never know unless that's the approach for me, for me. But I respect stability as well. Um, But I think the way I show up in life is around the possibilities that exist. And I'm curious to find them and make them reality, actually, which becomes the new stability. And then the next thing.
0: So there is something to be said by being the founder of your company, being the visionary, going off after the shiny penny. People are saying you are restless and you can't hone in on stuff. But you know what? I am just exploring infinite possibilities. So, hmm, I'm going to stick with that. And don't tell me about <laughs> uh, settling down. You know, if I could have 25 hours in the workday, I, I would be in pursuit. Of possibilities. Thank you for that. I appreciate going back. I love that. But actually, I'm going to ask you one more question before we get into your backstory. So, your company, Mavi, my life. Tell me more about the name of your company. The meaning of that.
1: And you said it correctly. If you are French, Mavi. I'm fluent in French. Wow. See, (laughs) Uh, and in fact, uh, so Mavi does mean my life in French. We changed the name of the or the spelling of the company. M-A-A-V-E-E, for Americans to maybe get to Mavi, mm-hmm. which is a little closer. Um, but we found that M-A-V-I-E was being pronounced Navy, And so we did a little branding trickery. And, you know, the reason, there are two reasons why the name Mavi was the code name when we were in stealth mode, because this vision came to life on a beach in France, actually. I was living in France for six months, um, after I burnt out, which I'm sure you're going to want to talk about it. At some point. Um, and I was living in France and my possibilities kicked in and I was like writing business plans on napkins every three days on the beach. Then I knew I wanted to do something, uh, related to wellness. And so. It became very clear to me as I really thought about what wellness is. It is a journey, not a destination. We never really get there. Maybe you become Buddha in this life, but probably not, um, or you die. And so those are the two places where you really get there, right? Buddha or death. <laughs> so it's a never-ending journey, and it it became very clear to me that wellness, the pursuit or the aspiration to be well is life. It's the one thing we all share in common. We all just want to be well in our own way. And uh, it seemed appropriate. And so, voila, magi.
0: I love that. The origin stories are so important. So often, I don't know, we keep those things to ourselves, but like why we get into a particular industry, how we wound up in a particular company, why did we change careers and such? Sometimes we don't put that out there. And I think the backstories are so interesting for which we are going to dive into your (laughs) story. So you're at Mavi now, but you have an amazing story. Tell us a little bit more so our listeners can get to know Frank more before we go more into your
1: company. Well, how? Where do you want me to start? Do you want me to go back, back? <laughs> I think uh, you've you know, done growing... an awful
0: lot. Tech, pharma. You know, you've been all over the place. Yeah, but... <laughs> you're a master here. You've had major impacts on many companies, people, organizations.
1: Well, I appreciate that. You know, look when when I was growing up, I got an I think I got an entrepreneurial bug from my father, who is an entrepreneur serial his entire life. He's always owned his own businesses and at many points along the way I, I was involved i was lucky enough to have a father who like hired me you know when i was young to come in and first i was sweeping the floors in a dental lab and you know then 10 years later i was helping him merge two dental labs and uh, become one company and i was still in in university at the time and um, i loved this notion of building a company uh, my, I watched my father build a company. I had responsibility in that company and got to help that along, in particular, from a growth perspective, an organization perspective, like how do you organize things to be able to do the work and make satisfied customers? And I thought it was fascinating. And it, and it, I was going, I thought I wanted to be a corporate attorney. I don't even know why. I, I must have heard it when I was like seven or something. It sounded cool. And when I was working for my father, it became very clear to me that I wanted to help organizations to transform. And when I was graduating from university, I decided that, well, a, a quick story, I went to a university where we had a co-op program. So I worked every six and went to school every six months for five years instead of four. And so when I came out of university, I had like three jobs and a year and a half of work experience which I think is was amazing and and really did catapult me and allowed me to tell the stories I needed to tell to get my first job which was as a consultant. I became by working for my father in particular. I realized that I wanted to consult with companies and I put all my eggs in one basket and I applied to one consulting company, Anderson Consulting. I don't know if that was smart, but I happened to get the job. And I remember it was the first time I had this passion. It was Anderson or bust. And I just wanted to work for them. And I was lucky enough to get that job and have all of these incredible experiences in pharmaceuticals, in helping the bring products to market faster. We always used technology as part of that process. I was what's called a business integration consultant, which was the intersection of strategy, technology, and people. And I just got this really keen appreciation for how those things intersect and are so important. You know, I did that for six or seven years, six years, six and a half years, but I had to go catch the internet wave because that was 1999 and everybody was jumping ship to go work for an internet company. And that's where the tech journey started.
0: So amazing. But then, you know, you talk about how you've turned around companies, helped with IPOs, and you've done amazing work. I mean, in all of that, I mean, at the very beginning here, we talked about burnout. You had a great start to your career. You wanted to really make major transformations in companies. And you obviously then, like you said, you rode the internet boom and so many great things happened in there. But like, maybe let's fast forward. You know, what was like the last thing that you were doing on a transformational scale? And then you said, that's it. That's it. That's all. I, I'm done.
1: Yeah. So once I made that shift to technology, I'd been in technology for the rest of the time. So I've always I've been in this uh, in this world and they've always been high growth, innovative, what I consider to be like inspiring super cool companies. And the last one in particular, I was, I was there for 13 years. I was part of the original executive team at Cornerstone on demand, which is a software as a service company focused on the HR people space, people technology, helping companies to engage, inspire, develop the human asset. I always say I loved working for companies that understood that. A commitment to a person, an employee, should not just be a commitment to their success on the job, but to their success in life. And those are the those are the special companies. And I always thought that I was working for a company that was doing that and had clients that were buying into that. So that was really neat. But those last thirteen, the the thirteen year run, the last big run, which I left in, I started in. 2005 and left in 2018. When I started that company, de- started at that company, we were doing like a half a million dollars in, in revenue. And when I left, we were doing a half a billion, just shy of a half a billion. So that ride was like, like mind blowing. Um, and you can imagine the growing pains uh, of, of that. And, and when I went, I went to build initially the customer capabilities. The capabilities that were required to grow and retain customers to make sure that they were not just happy, but they stuck around. That turned out to be seven different functions uh, ultimately. And we were, I'm a builder. Like that was my dream. You know, I'm, I'm, once you get to like a, like 200 million, 250 million, I kind of get bored of like the operating, but the building all of the things to get to that point, that's like my sweet spot. And I had a really great run for seven years building those capabilities. But what happened was the CEO tapped me to go start our Asia business. Now, keep in mind, we had just gone public in 2011. At the end of 2011, he said, look, we're going to build the Asia business. We knew we were going to do it, but we also knew that we we should go public first. We, you know, starting a business in Asia is not for the faint of heart and it's not for like, let me throw a couple bucks at it and see if it works. Like you, if you're going to do it, you got to do it. So we had um, deeper pockets after going public and we made some real investments in Asia. And so I went over, I always say with um, a mission and a bag of money, meaning a budget, <laughs> as employee number one and uh, built the business in Asia in seven countries Now that's why my beard and hair are gray, uh, because in hindsight, maybe we should have started with one or two. And and (laughs) but uh, we, uh, you know, we we have I and the company had a very strong appetite for growth, and we actually really felt strongly that the markets we had chosen were places we should be. So we started the company in those seven countries, and ultimately turned out to be eight by the time I left. And you know, there were, by the time we I left, there were, I went from one employee to almost a hundred. Well, those eight countries are really different. <laughs> you know, when you think about Japan and India, like those are the two ends of the spectrum and then there's everything in the middle. And so the requirement, and please interrupt me if, if you want to take me in a different direction, but the requirement to embed yourself in those cultures To not bring a bunch of Americans and plant them in India and say, hey, well, let's go after the Indian market or let's go after the Japanese market. Like, that doesn't work. So, you know, we had had to hire local. We had to hire right. um, Made lots of hiring uh, bad decisions and lots of great ones. um, And learned more about myself than I did about business, actually. I can so relate. So relate we are capable
0: of doing monumental work, which is what you signed up for to do. But at some point, at some point, even if you're capable, maybe you've got the capacity to do it, you may not continue to have the same energy and desire to do that because it is energy. And again, I love getting to know new cultures and understand you have to operate slightly differently in order to get a similar outcome. And making those changes, you say, I can do this. But sustaining that over seven or eight different countries, cultures, oh my, and then to build a reputable business that people want to work at—so much energy going into that. It takes that effort. a lot
1: of energy, And and you know, there's there's also this layer of energy that in the early days, you're kind of the only one who knows the business, like the the core business. So everybody needs you in a way in the beginning. And that's one of the reasons I say, well, maybe staggering the eight countries. So the need, the demands um, were maybe not as great. And I was traveling 100% of the time. I lived in Hong Kong. I was traveling, you know, I was only there on the weekends. And, you know, he's just big. Like, you know, when you, if you want to go to Singapore, it's eight hours. If you want to go to, um, or six hours, if you want to go to Australia, it's... Mm-hmm. 11 hours. If you want to go to India, it's only four hours, but it takes you four hours to get through um, immigration. (laughs) So it's a, it's a lot. It it does take a toll. You're absolutely right. Like things come up that you didn't know, like it brings up things that you, you, because you know, you're, you go to a culture shock. I mean, that's like a, a term I, I'm a, I was always sort of a globalist I loved other cultures but when you get down to that I'm going to negotiate a contract things make you crazy you know and and it's it's culture shock it's it's just a different way of doing things and you really have to figure out how to adapt and stay grounded in those moments
0: you know i I really appreciate that and it's interesting my My children, my husband, (laughs) they've been globalists as well. They have picked up and gone to different cultures. And my son, David, I mean, he has been in some others where he didn't speak the language and he had to learn the language. It took up to six months just to feel like, you know, building friends and feeling like you could fit in and operate. It is so different. And I appreciate the fact that you had the courage to do that. You had the energy to do it. But then let's fast forward a little bit. Is yeah. that then having the courage to walk away,
1: and then what did you do after that? Well, I was feeling the depletion for about eighteen months, and I I remember calling the founder of the company who was my boss. Like I wasn't I wasn't reaching him. I I sent an email. I sent a couple of voice voicemails He wasn't getting back to me, and I was like having a moment where I I'm a perseverer which is a blessing and a curse. And um, my entire life has been more about persevering than it has been about putting myself first. And it took me a really long time. I mean, arguably too long. (laughs) And so I really thought, "Wow, I'm not in a good situation. I didn't know what burnout really was because all of my other Everything leading up to that, I was seen, like for all intents and purposes, as a young kid. You know, I could do it, um, but I wasn't a young kid when I was living in Asia. And um, I called my uh, the the founder, and he wasn't getting back to me. And then I left them. I, I I wrote him a note about what was on mine. It interestingly, my um, request or my stance was a move into Sydney. Not I'm coming home. Not I'm I'm done. It was, I, I needed a break and, and because I had already set the business up in all of those countries, they were at, by that time, this is five years into it, they were fully functioning, running on their own, had general managers that were strong in place. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I've got a lot of friends in Sydney. I need, I need like stability. And so I'm, I'm moving to Sydney. And so he, he didn't call me back right away. He called me back two days later. And then the one thing I appreciate about Adam Miller, who founded Cornerstone On Demand, is that he, he always listens, he processes, and he's very thoughtful about his response. He, he's, he's not a quick to respond. He's like, I'm going to process this. And uh, he called me back and he goes, look, I got your message and I have another idea. Why don't you just come home to L.A.? Asia's running and just lead it from L.A. I was like, damn, I never thought about that. That's a great idea. Right. And I did. Six months later, I moved home. And I ran Asia for one more year from, from LA. But, you know, I was going back and forth. And I was like, eh, okay, it's time. What happened was I'd be that we were going through a major restructuring. And I um, took on a new role as the chief customer officer of the company. And we were endeavoring to put our first real portfolio strategy in place that was focused on, we, that role didn't exist. And so it was about creating a, what I call a, a strategy for intimacy at scale because we had thousands of customers and 80 million users around the world. And the question was, how do you look at the portfolio differently when you're now a half a billion in revenue, and you want to go to a billion. That was the next chapter, and I was like, "Oh, that's exciting! I'm going to do that because I'm a customer guy at heart." And uh, I, I always say, I built this beautiful strategy, and I, re- I remember I presented it, and I resigned that night. And I remember going into the building that day, and I, I couldn't go in. I, I, I was like go into the door. And, and I, so I walked around the building like three times and I got to the door and I realized that this was the day. And so I went in, I presented the strategy and I resigned afterwards. And, and it wasn't, it was because I knew in my heart that I did, I wasn't ready to give it a hundred, that, that new strategy, a hundred percent. I didn't I loved it. It looked amazing on paper, but I was burnt out. And I really struggled with the, but I want to do it, but I'm burnt out. And I I just said I have to, I have to stop for a bit for a moment in time. Your story is so familiar to many,
0: many, many, many listeners out there. But the strength of what you did. Beyond the perseverance, because that's how all of us are celebrated, because we're rewarded
1: quite well for
0: for our perseverance, so we become programmed. And so coincident with you sharing this story, I too, as we speak, while I am infinitely capable and I've got a lot of energy, I too am realizing where I don't find joy anymore sure, I could do more. I don't love it. <laughs> I don't love it. And it's like, you can't make me do this anymore, even if it sounds like the greatest thing. So perseverance versus putting yourself first is not selfish, but so mm-hmm. many more of us need to recognize that is a strength, putting self first, which goes into some of the work that you're doing now, is much more purposeful than this ongoing perseverance we put ourselves year after year until we got one step foot in the grave. So beautiful story. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days not months and it includes so many resources worksheets videos and much much more if this is you please head over to my website dropinceo.com and click on my products the ceo's compass and what are yours on amazon or other outlets and now back to the conversation but you have now transitioned to the complete opposite of well-being as your pursuit. And I believe it probably complements or is the complete opposite of what a lot of us do. I would love for you now, for my listeners to share more about this pursuit and the impact you're trying to have, because I want people to really understand what you do and connect with you because of the work you're doing now.
1: First, I'll say I've always been a wellness junkie. You picked up on my hashtag wellness yeah. junkie. Um, you know, I've always I, I was a, an athlete at college. I, I I was always kind of in that world of you know be well, eat healthy. I also always suffered from chronic anxiety and low grade depression my, my entire life. But nobody ever told me that, so I created coping mechanisms. One of which was perseverance. So, um, and I never really addressed it, and I and I think you know, I'm for me perseverance meant take all the things that are weighing you down and put them in like big rocks and put them in your pocket, like put them away until your pockets get so big that you kind of crash. Well, that's not super healthy, right? So after Cornerstone, I went to a well-being company actually for a hot second. It it was it was. I wasn't there very long, but it was a well being technology company, really believed in what they were doing. And COVID happened, and there were kind of this series of like the perfect storm, and the writing was on the wall with COVID. And I, I just had some things that I needed to take care of personally. And so I left only after four months. But before I even took that job, as I said, I was on a beach. You know, I took a year and a half off from after Cornerstone, and I was blessed enough to have the opportunity to do that. and had wellness on my mind. It was very clear I was going to do something in wellness. And I thought it was interesting, I'll, I'll be a little bit new agey for a second, but the universe put a well-being opportunity in front of me because that's what I had in my mind. I wasn't pursuing one. I was going to do one myself. So I went and did that for a hot second and then COVID happened I and we were in lockdown. And so I, I really started to think about my well being, we all were, we, that's not unique to me. I'm, it's not unique to me, right? Uh, we were all thinking about what are our priorities? What is wellness? Um, how do I take care of myself? Oh, the old model, like that wasn't serving me. And so we all did that. What happened to me though was I was sitting at my kitchen table, and I'm not really a social media guy per se, but I was now had the time to be on Instagram <laughs> you know, as Instagram or watch movies or, you know, figure out what's next. And I was fascinated that by the ads, you know, we all know that the ads are so personal, so perfect. They clearly know who we are and everything was about wellness. And all of these products were like, Oh my God, that's amazing. I didn't know that existed. Oh my God, that's amazing. I didn't know that. So I started ordering stuff and, I got really upset for two reasons very quickly. One, the minute I ordered something, I got the next ad for the same thing, different brand, better pictures, hotter people, stronger message, you know, whatever it was. And I was like, well, which one should I have ordered? So I ordered both, just to see, not at all the time, but just to see. And Nine times, eight and a half times out of 10, I was disappointed when the product arrived. And I found that the gap between the message and the marketing and execution, the reality of the product, there was a a large gap. And so it really got me thinking what, how big, like, how, first of all, how big is the wellness industry? Well, globally, it's $4.7 trillion. That's the size of like Japan's (laughs) GP. So, Um, and you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there. There's a lot of really bad stuff out there. And there are a lot of people I realized who are trying to save the world, brands, creators. And there are a lot of people who are trying to sell you a lot of stuff. And again, a gap, right? And when I really dug into the business of wellness, which is where I really leaned into this notion or found this notion that it's a journey, not a destination. It lasts a lifetime. Yours is different than mine. It's constantly changing in fluid. Your needs, your interests, your desires, your environment determine your well-being needs. And the big aha for me was that healthcare and wellness are finally converging in a meaningful way. What I mean by that is it's no longer woo woo to meditate. Like United Healthcare is giving away Headspace and hope and pray that you use it. Why? Because the data is there to suggest that mindfulness does lead to prevention of diseases. And so, disease is dis ease, and we need to do everything we can to avoid this dis ease. That leads to disease. And because of this convergence, and for for lack of a better way to describe it, our distrust in the healthcare system, and and you know, it's broken. We don't need to debate that. We as consumers are taking it into our own hands, not just our well-being. We've been taking our well-being into our own hands for a very long time, i.e. Five trillion dollar industry, but now we're taking healthcare into our own hands. We're paying concierge doctors because we'd rather not go to our primary care. Um, we're, you know, paying for our own vaccinations. We're doing all these things, and healthcare's playing catch up to the money being spent on well-being. And so they need to come together. And so, really, what I envision—and I know this is a long explanation—but I think the context was important is this notion of population wellness. You know, healthcare talks about population health, which is basically a numbers game of reducing healthcare costs. And we all benefit, right? Reducing healthcare costs, reduce premiums, reduce for the employer, for us, all these things. But it's not really working yet. And so there is a lot of data out there to suggest that the You know, over the next 20, 30 years, the proportion of money spent on healthcare will move to being spent on well-being. And what I wanted to do was create a population well-being service that helps you as a human connect to your very personal journey, to learn, to be inspired, to spark your curiosity, to help you to discover what might work for you. And so to do that, to navigate that journey, we think you need really good content, community and and features to keep you connected and supported along the way, and the ability to shop well to be well. So we are natural curators of the very best wellness products and services out there on the market. Um, And I'll just give you a great example. If I say, Deb, you should be mindful or go meditate, can you tell me what that means for you? Like, what, are, what do you think of?
0: I, you know, cross my legs, get in a quiet space on a mat and hum or listen to some interesting, mellow music, but I'm not music. sure. I would have to research it. Like, well, yeah. what music? What are the best ones? Where can what? I get the best ROI for that time I'm spending?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that's a great answer. Those are real things for me. It's this beautiful piece of jewelry that hangs around my neck that happens to be a breathing breathwork tube. You put it in your mouth, you breathe into your nose, you blow out through the the uh, tube, and it it controls the exhale. I do this for two minutes, and my anxiety goes from here to here. Created by a guy named Todd Steinberg, who was having anxiety attacks his entire life, was with you know talking to every psychotherapist under the sun. Nothing was working. And he finally met a guy who said, go get the little bar straws that you put in your drinks that are too thin to to drink through. Cut them in half, put them in your pocket. And every time you feel like you're going to have an anxiety attack or you feel anxious, put it in your mouth that blows you up for two minutes. So he says it saved his life and he created this beautiful, it's called the shift. And for me, this is what I use to be mindful. I calm myself down, and by the way, it could be a combination of things. You, as you said, it could be music and a quiet place in, in your house. It could be a weighted blanket and a breathwork tooth. The whole point is, there's no silver bullet to any of it. You have to discover what resonates with you and lean in. And if it works, amazing. And if it doesn't, you it's just, just as much value in deciding what doesn't work for you and what does work for you, just like light. And so that's what we do.
0: You know, this so resonates with me as well. And I really appreciate that because I think more people need to be thinking about this because I too, I distrust the healthcare system. Mind you, in dire situations, you, I am so grateful to those who serve of in that capacity. Absolutely. But I too, by the numbers, seemed healthy. But I didn't feel whole. I didn't feel like something. I want to understand what else. So, I too sought some alternative medicine. I went to a functional nutritionist. We actually found some deficiencies in certain areas of my chemistry and well being. So, a combination of just reducing some stress, some different kinds of supplements. Uh, People say, no salt. She says, pile on that salt. You are salt deficient. (laughs) You need magnesium, potassium, that, you know, all that. And by the way, because you're so stressed and you persevere so much, that's adding to the additional. Oh my God. So you depletion, have to go on, right? Y- yeah, yeah. You have to depletion. go on your own journey and you got to trust yourself because like, gosh, my goal was to get out. I had one medication I was on for cholesterol. I went to my primary. I said, I want to get off of this. I want to just be taking supplements. She says, get off of it. Let's just do your blood work six months. Let's try. We have to be advocates for ours, but at the same time, it is so confusing with all the information out there. And yes, I see all those ads on my Instagram as well. So I want to make sure now that I showcase the work because I understand, well, your initial offer is direct to employers in order to supplement uh-huh. the health and well-being of their people. But tell yeah. us a little bit more about how can people connect with this product or service? And I understand you're probably going to go direct to consumer as well. So tell us yeah. more about how to access you.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking us. So we're a B, right now, we're a to c company, and we're going after populations that aspire to be well or are primed to aspire to be well. And the first are employees, as you've said. So our first offer is an app, it's called Mavi. And employers give this experience to their employees, it takes five minutes, there's no implementation. So it's sort of the easy button for employers who are so well-intended in supporting the well-being of their employees. Um, but the reality is there has that intention has to come top-down and bottoms up. And what we mean by that is advocate for what you believe in. If you believe in well-being, build a culture of well-being. If you believe in purpose, build a culture of social responsibility. Do all of these things and advocate and set values and, and put practices in place. But also put a layer of support in place, which to us means time and money. And so give your employees time to take care of themselves and support them, supplement them with money to spend on their well-being. And I'll just really tell you a quick story. You know, we talk to our employee, uh, employee users every once in a while. We get on calls like this. And the other, you know, about a month ago, I was on a call with a guy named Rick from New Jersey. And you know, it was me on the call with him. I said, "Hey, Rick, what do you think of Mavi?" And this kid did not skip a beat. He said, "Look, I would never use this app. This—I'm just not that guy. I don't spend money on myself. I golf. It's all I do. I love it. It feeds my soul." And he said, "But my employer gave me 350 bucks, and he pulls out on the call this lumbar support micro needle pillow." And he said, I would have never known this existed unless my employer gave me this service and this money. So I bought three things I didn't even know were out there. And so we told the employer, we didn't disclose Rick's name as I am now, but we told the employer. Um, And the employer said, I would spend money on that all day. Like That is well-being happening in the moment, in real time. I didn't know Rick needed that, right? So employers tend to do things like, we're going to get everyone a fitment. Yes. no offense to Fitbit we love Fitbit um, but like we just said moving doesn't necessarily mean everybody wants a Fitbit you know some people might want to go to the gym some people might want Aptim. some people might want a Fitbit etc um, Rick wanted the back pillow and and actually we just had a guy post on Instagram or not on Instagram on unsolicited on LinkedIn and said and and said hey my employer David me Bobby. I have intestinal issues. I have this new cocktail that I got with probiotics, and he named the brand. And he posted on on uh, mommy and he said, "I no longer take gastrointestinal medication because of this new cocktail that I made." And so, like that's well, like that's what we're trying to do: let the employee choose.
0: Yeah. So now moving forward, because there's so many individuals that I hopefully by what you're sharing, what you're saying, so resonates, and you've been putting off. Getting your well-being in check because again, it's about well, it's about being a long, healthy life. What is your offer now for those that might be a bit, hopefully, very interested in your offer?
1: Yeah. So what we're doing is we're We're, we're our plan is to uh, release the solution direct to consumer in the early Q1 January timeframe, where anyone will be able to go download the mobile app and and experience it and and uh, take advantage of these very highly curated products and services um, and the content and the experience and the features. But in the meantime, because it is gated and invitation only, as an appreciation for being one of this podcast, any listener who would like access to Bobby, shoot us a note on LinkedIn, DM us, send me a personal note at far at m a a v e e, And we will be happy to give you access early access and uh, let you get in and play around.
0: And that's amazing. And I think everybody should first of all check out Frank's work, go to his website, check out his profile. He's got a great picture on his LinkedIn profile, very <laughs> casual. It's it's the essence of well-being and happiness. And I think everybody out there, while we all want to do hard work, we want to do purposeful work, not at the cost of our well-being. Perseverance is noble, but at some point we have to put ourselves first because if we don't People depend on us, whether it's our community, family, friends, etc. We need employees. to be there for them. Yeah, your employees as well. So think about this as a, you know, how quick am I going to get an ROI on this? Like it's a business transaction. It is an investment in yourself. Ultimately, it does cascade down to the people and the company, and we all benefit for that. So I want people to connect with you, but I just want to give you the floor one last moment before we give this to a close, any last message to my audience, because I do want them to connect with you and Mavi and the app.
1: I appreciate that. Um, look, I think I really just want to come back to this notion of the journey and no one's truly well, right? We We all have something we need to work on. There's a mental health crisis in the world, not in America, in the world. And one of the things that I think we need to do, I I call this easy, easy wellness, easy well-being, softer, softer well-being. We need to be a little softer on ourselves. You know, I think we've spent our entire, I'm speaking in generalities, but mental health has historically been this notion of looking back about what's happened to me, what are my traumas, and they are real, right? We all have real traumas, and they made us who we are today. Sometimes they didn't work out well. Sometimes they turned into a coping mechanism that served us very well, which probably eventually needs to change. Um, But I, I just encourage us to shift our thinking, and it's a process, and it's not just something you do overnight. It takes practice. To shift our thinking to where we want to be versus where we've been, what we want in our lives and believing that it is actually true and acting it as if it is. And, and though, you know, that's my, that's been my work in life. I've learned it late and I still hadn't mastered it, but it's changed my life. And so Everything about your well-being, your body, your mind, your heart, your soul, work, money, planet. I don't have to tell anyone that being good to our planet is part of your own wellness journey, so I encourage everyone to think that way. But I guess I just leave you with, think about where we, we want to we be in life, where you want to be in life, and believe that it's possible. And things do start to change otherwise you just keep persevering so that's that's my parting message
0: frank i am just so grateful that i took a chance and reached out and you said yes and let's bring this wonderful amazing conversation to both of our audiences i'm grateful that you dropped in on the podcast i am grateful to anybody out there who found this valuable reach out to frank And also, most importantly, invest in your well-being. So, Frank, thank you for being an amazing guest on the show.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue... To help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.